This is Game Theory, our podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, we run to the bank. In the second weekend of March in 2023, the U.S. saw its second largest bank failure in history when Silicon Valley Bank went under. The bank failed because it made cocky bad decisions. It seemingly happened overnight. When the news got out that it was leaking money and would soon be insolvent, it experienced a bank run. A bank run is a phenomenon where depositors lose faith that the bank actually has a functioning business and can pay the depositors back. So with extreme fear and basically all at once, depositors go to the bank to get their money out. The problem is the bank doesn't have all their cash. If you've seen It's a Wonderful Life or paid attention to the Lehman Brothers failure of 2008, you know what a bank run is. They're disastrous. To rectify the issues of the Great Depression, the U.S. added a bunch of safeguards to protect depositors by insuring their money if a bank went under. This changed the math, theoretically protecting the average Joe from losing all their money and preventing bank runs. Because when a bank run happens, you either run to the bank or you lose your money. And welcome to episode 63 of Game Theory, a podcast about com- competition, strategy, decision-making. I got that right. Is that right, Chris? I think this this time switch, we, it's screwing us up. That is right. I, I, I'm experiencing hubris. <laughs> if you remember from the fall episode, yeah. I said, nobody complains about daylight saving time ending in the fall. I'm complaining about daylight saving time starting. It, for, for some reason, it got me this year. Normally, it doesn't bother me, but yeah. I, I don't know if it's just a factor of being older or what, but I'm completely ass over tea kettle right now. I'll tell you why. As two Catholics, um, it's because with the internet.com, um, we are no longer able to get out of mass, and that used to just be the energy boost I needed. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Whoops. <laughs> Missed it by an hour. Now it's like, no, no, no. Nope. Look at the phone. The phone is always right. Like, oh, I lost. What happened to the time? It's 11 a.m. right now? Shit. Yeah, I can't believe it. Uh, I had a very good dinner on Saturday night with some friends. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of Irish whiskey, and I don't know why people took it upon themselves to make last week St. Patrick's Day week when St. Patrick's Day is Friday, March 17th. Yeah, I agree. Like, but they missed a lot of people did. I think there's going to be two. There should be two, right? Why, why wouldn't they? Um, also, you want to hear a, uh, a spicy prediction? Yeah, I do. <sighs> I'm going to put the over-under at seven and a half years till St. Patrick's Day gets canceled and renamed something else. Canceled and renamed? Yeah, well, it's not going to be canceled. It's going to get reappropriated to something other than St. Patricio. St. Patricio. Yeah. Okay. I think you underestimate the power of, <laughs> of Boston the Irish? Irish. Yeah. Though the Irish in, in, in uh, Boston and Chicago want to drink, they're just going to find out a way, a non-genocidal way to do that. This is my Genocidal? Prediction. The serpents. Genocidal. The pagan. Yeah, the sea, he genocided the, the snakes. He, he genocided the, yes. They, that's what they called them, yes. Um, but that's just, my, <laughs> that's, just my, that's just my spicy prediction. Um, so... Obviously, this week, a lot of the news, we're going to talk about the Silicon Valley bank crash and just bank runs and the idea behind them. Um, it's not a new concept. In fact, I'll, maybe I should, no. should I cut up the It's a Wonderful Life thing with Jimmy Stewart? Just, oh, you say his money's not here. From You remember when he's explaining how bank runs work to people? Make that into one of your soundboard things so we could use that over and over again. <laughs> it's over and over and over, yeah. Uh, the other... Yeah, obviously, the bank the bank run idea isn't new. I no. mean, there's a, a famous, like a defi- generation-defining event that involved yeah. bank runs and, and a stock market crash, the Great Depression, obviously. Uh, anybody who's read any history at all, like high school, like middle schoolers learn about the Great Depression and, and banks just didn't have money available for people. And so, yeah, it's not, it's not no, a new thing, not a new but... Thing. It keeps recurring. Keeps we keep having to learn the same lessons over and over again, yep. and we're going to talk about Same it only difference. We're, we're, we're going to talk about that. The other thing that happened recently was the Oscars happened, and I will say that yep. films featuring um, Eastern Asians have been doing really well in a number of years, which makes me uh, optimistic in a sense that um, there's some yeah. cultural bridges being crossed. Everything, everything, everywhere, all at once, won Best Picture, and I think multiple acting awards, three, two, and three. They- they, they almost, I, I think I think it was like three, three acting awards. Three it was four. like best directors they won. They, they, I think they won a total of seven awards. Yeah. Really incredible performance. Just remarkable how well that movie did. And fans loved it. Critics loved it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Fantastic film. Fantastic success for the people who were involved. 
with making that. And then shout to Brendan Fraser, who's uh, one best actor for his role in something as an obese man. I, I forget the film, my bad, but it was... Um, it's called The Whale. He, The Whale. Yes, that's right, where he was the whale. I, I, rejected titles included uh, The Fatty, uh, Pork Loin. Yeah, obesity, blah, yes. Blah, blah, blah. So I think... Yeah, and they really... I, I, I was watching with some friends, and they, they really... Uh, there, there was some kind of cringing moments during his, what was otherwise like a heartfelt acceptance speech for Brendan Fraser. Cause everybody's rooting for Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Nobody's not rooting for Brendan. He's Fraser. had a weird life. And he was, he's had a weird life. It's been a weird couple oh, of yeah. years for him, about a decade. Well, I, I heard he got like blacklisted and, yep. and all this kind of stuff, but he's having a major career revival and everybody's on board with it, but he kept making all these like whale references. It's like <laughs> the people who work on this film have a whale sized heart. And the people that I was watching, I, 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 I didn't really bother me, but the people I was watching with like, oh, yeah, don't really care for that one. <laughs> but he did a spectacular job. And it, I, I feel like this is really more of like recognition that he's Back. kind of having a cultural yeah. moment. People are remembering growing up with the mummy and George of the Jungle. And oh, yeah, you know, that guy. And, he, and even like casual film people are on the Brendan Fraser hype train. And he won uh, won an award, and he deserved every bit of it. Yeah, he acted his ass off. I thought that um, Banshees of Inishir in the movie I've talked about multiple times, I think it won Best Original Screenplay. I don't remember what won. That movie got screwed. I no, think they didn't win shit. That, that I have to watch everywhere, everything everywhere all at once, but the, uh, the uh, supporting actor role, I'm going to investigate. I might have a hot take. I think that I doubt that that guy got outacted this year. Just I, I, we, we shall see. You think? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen everything everywhere all at once. I'm going to wait till I'm in the mood for a movie. So, I mean, it's going to happen soon enough. But that's fair. What do I know? I did see Banshee's Minasheeran, and that performance was bananas. I, that guy was amazing. He's great. Him and Colin, Colin on the same screen is great. 10 out of 10 recommend. Okay, Chris. Uh, He's the guy that played uh, Mad Eye Moody. Yeah, Mad Eye Moody. And Harry him, and, him and Colin Farrell, they hooked up for In Bruges which is one of the funniest, shittiest movies I've ever seen in my life. It is, and it was very highly critically, it's a dark comedy. And all the time I just say to my brother, I mean, fucking Bruges. And when you're doing something you don't want to do and you're bored out of your mind. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen what does that? that even mean? The no. Bruges is a town in Belgium. They're hitmen. They work for like an assassination company and then something goes awry and now they have to lay low in Bruges. And the old guy, I, I got this figured out his name. I got, this is actually the Mad Eye Moody guy. The actor that plays yeah. Mad Eye Moody is like mature about it. He's going to go see all this medieval history and cathedrals and Colin Farrell like wants to do coke. And it's like, I'm in fucking wow. Bruges. Yeah, it's it's. Great. I feel like that's kind of a metaphor for, for his life. He's he's sober now for yes. a, lot, a few years sober now, right? Yeah, Colin, I think so. Yep. That, and he's six, he does a lot of things uh, in, in Ireland. He's really acting acting his ass off in Ireland. Okay. Before we get to our podcast episode, we have an ad. And we always said on this show that we would endorse things that we actually endorse. And this one is for money. Um, but it is a product that we actually endorse, and it is for Spotify for podcasters, which is a new thing that exists, Chris. It is the platform that we use to bring you what is in your ears now. And I do, as someone who's been in the podcast industry for like financially for like a de- decade, half a decade, half a decade almost exactly, five, six years, whatever. Who doesn't what's, matter? What's five years between friends? I don't really care. <laughs> but uh, I've been doing this for <laughs> a, a long time. Decade? Ah, half a decade? All of our, yeah, all of our success, which is so far none. Um, <laughs> Speaking of no success, all of our success so far, Dad. Let's get into the topic of today, which is bank runs. Um, but some University of Chicago professors and researchers called this something else. We are talking about Silicon Valley Bank and other banks that are experiencing some runs and some investment insecurity. Everyone's like, oh my God, is it 2008 again? No. Is it Black Monday again? No, but kind of, but we're going to talk about it. So let's get into these two dudes at the University of Chicago. Yeah, so we're we're actually talking about this is the strangest coincidence. We're talking about something that's called the Diamond Dibvig model. Uh-huh. That's diamond spelled like you think, hyphenated with uh, D Y B V I G. Diamond Dibvig. These were two uh, researchers who were at the University of Chicago and Yale University. So Douglas Diamond was at University of Chicago, uh-huh. and Philip Dibvig was at Yale University. And the coincidence is that in 1983. These guys jointly published a paper that described how game theory actually informs bank runs. The incentives that are created in the system of people depositing money in a bank or taking loans out of money from loans of money out of the same bank create 
a dynamic wherein if everybody goes to withdraw at the same time, then people are actually all incentivized to do that. And so it's a natural consequence. It's it's one of the multiple Nash equilibria that exist in that game theory system. Yes. And I say that this is a crazy coincidence because SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, mm-hmm. which, as we said, collapsed uh, Friday morning. You'll so see SVB on all over social media. If, if you see SVB, it's not Sam Bankman-Fried. It's, that's SBF. This is Silicon Valley yes. Bank. <laughs> Yeah, and it uh, it collapsed. It was the second largest uh, colli- It's the largest failure of a U.S. bank since 2008. Washington Mutual folded, and so this is a, like a, a big deal. You probably haven't heard of it if you're not inside Silicon Valley, because a lot of the money comes from like venture capital and, and people who are operating in Silicon Valley. Uh, but the coincidence here is that in the same year that Diamond and Divvig wrote their paper, Silicon Valley Bank was founded. Yeah, it was special founded as a specialty bank for tech startups. So kind of like a strange little. Uh, uh, overlap there historically speaking and the the thing that is most interesting to me about this nick is how people are are like we're we're seeing the fruits of like what actually is a natural system it's not just like mass panic where people's biases are feeding into like oh man this is going to be a terrible situation it is but it's also the rational thing for people to do to take their money out at the same time there are game theoretic reasons for it yes so it from a high level, it reminds me very much of our episode on Black Friday where nobody's really winning. It seems like people are winning or like there's a way to be like be ahead of the curve here. But eventually what ends up happening is everyone is incentivized to just kind of do something that sucks because like otherwise they're the ones screwed. Now, in this country, I don't know, you know, the ins and outs of the the fabric of fear in other societies. I know in the Western Hemisphere, specifically the U.S., Um, we are in high school and in middle school and in college. And then for all of us millennials, scared fucking shitless of financial crisis. And just as we kind of got over it, uh, over the the Great Depression, which lasted literally until Pearl Harbor, we got over it. Then we happened to get in the 80s and then like, oh, things are good. Then maybe one that could have been bigger than the Great Depression happened in 2008. And then now, and now we're just, we're trigger happy. We're like, is this, is it happening again? Is it happening again? So I'm going to say from what I've read and I'm just regurgitating shit now, I don't know. I don't know what <laughs> Which I'm is talking. what we do normally. Right. I do know a lot about the 2008 thing because I got really, really grotesquely into it. I'm one of those that like wants the storm to win. So I just like, it was kind of like darkness, like let's see how bad this was. So I understand that more than your <laughs> average bar top shit talker, but I'm not an, I'm not an economist. I will say this. In 2008, the general vibe among economists and researchers is that like capitalism, the idea of it, unregulated, was being questioned. They're like, this is such a fuck up that are we now going to have to be socialists in order to survive? Like the idea of finance was being questioned. It's like that was an existential crisis. This is people didn't diversify their portfolios in a time when assets went down. So similar, same, only different. But it's a great time to talk about the idea of bank runs, which is everyone like, hey, you know, because we, like I said, we watched Miracle on 34. Was it Miracle on 34th Street? No, It's a Wonderful Life. God, I'm confused. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful well, Life. Both great Christmas movies. We'll watch right. them both. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a Wonderful Life every year for me. It's, it's, a, it's a classic. I have a Bartum Building and Loan Brothers whatever t-shirt. I love, I love that movie. And remember when Jimmy Stewart's explaining to the people, well, you give us your money, but it's not here. We're not just like hiding it from people. We lend it to people. They pay it back. It exists. So like, And not everybody can come get their money. Then the bank has no money and they have no way to make money. Okay, so... Silicon Valley Bank opens. It is a specialty bank that loans money to startups because what they're saying is it's, and this is a great proposition. It's a similar investing strategy to the way James Harden plays basketball. We're like three is more than two. These, these tech startups, <laughs> and they and these don't, hedge funds they don't play are, any defense at all. No, no defense. What, what they found is, and this is what a lot of bros theorize is you can, if, if you're wrong on stocks and bonds and investing, you're wrong in a way where it doesn't really hurt you. That's diversifying your portfolio, right? But if you're hyper aggressive and you just throw money at bullshit, if one of those is right, you can quit your job. If you could invest in a thousand things and waste tens of millions of dollars, if you invest in Facebook, it doesn't fucking matter. Right. So yeah, if if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self and say, put all of your life savings into Google stock in the year 1999, you would be very well to do today because of the value that that stock has gained over time. So if you hit a home run, all of the all of the flyouts that you get as part of this investment strategy, don't they, they kind of 
come out in the wash. And so yeah. those really big payoffs uh, tend to work. But the problem is if those big payoffs never really materialize, you're losing a lot of money really quickly. Right. Uh, and if there are structural factors at play that add to the, well, I guess that further decrease the rate of return, like high interest rates on loans, for example, <laughs> then that strategy starts to look a little bit too risky. Right. And so when a bank is forced to sell off a lot of its <laughs> assets at a loss, then that's going to devalue the stock quite a bit, and the investors are going to be uh, freaked out about that. And what's more is that the people who were depositing their money into the bank are are going to lose out. And, and Silicon Valley Bank is just the latest example of what is the standard diamond dibvig model, where a bank that's trying to help businesses run their business yep. is giving out loans that have a, a long time to mature. So it's it's not very liquid the money that they're that they're loaning out. But to balance that out, the bank gets a very diverse, very large set of streams of individual savers who are putting their money into the bank. And that, and that includes like individual households as well as companies that are putting savings into the bank right. and, and trying to cap, capitalize on the interest there. In theory, if a stream of depositors is big enough and diverse enough, you're not really ever going to see a situation where they all need their money at the same time because just the natural ebbs and flows of the market in different places, it's going to look different for each individual depositor. And so by the law of large numbers and with like the randomness that exists in, in a general economy, the bank can usually count on people having an, on having enough depositors to offset the illiquid, large, long maturity loans that they're giving out to businesses as part of like venture capital. Right. The problem, though, is that if people start to think, well, maybe there aren't enough depositors to cover all these loans, then they start to get into uh, groupthink and self-fulfilling prophecy territory, and that's where the problems start. Yeah, so a couple things I want to clarify here real quickly. Number one is that the bank runs... That I mean, I'm 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 segregating into three comparison things here because again, this has happened for the history of time since we invented interest rates. Essentially, um, Great Depression, 2008, and then now. That's the three I'm I'm choosing to use right now. The bank runs in all three of those instances are yep. different. In the 20s, those are like your average mom and pop, like what we think of like Wells Fargo, um, I mean, just the bank down on the corner, the major chains, or even your local community bank. Those are hard or hardworking Americans put their dollars in there to save for a rainy day, that kind of thing. In 2008, the bank runs were not in, were not people that had their savings in there. They were investors. So they could be like your 401k or your Roth IRA for average people. And then for everyone else, it was traders. So a bank on a, 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 an investment bank, a run on an investment bank is not withdrawing your savings. It's taking your investment out. Like, I don't believe in you, your ability to make money. And in this one, it's kind of both, but which makes it seem bad. But it's again, it's not bad in the same way that those were existentially different. There is one other caveat here that I find kind of interesting, which is I'm, I'm really obsessed with this, and I'm sure that there's some literature I can read, especially when it comes to pharmaceutical companies and medical device companies. I've stated very clearly, I don't think that they should ever, under any circumstances, be able to trade on public stock markets, ever, just because I think that's a... That is a spicy take. Conflict of interest. I don't think that they... If you have a stock price, then your, your product is your stock price, not your drugs, not your Band-Aids. It's your stock price. That's just a fact. This bank had stock. It is on exchanges. It was it, Silicon Valley Bank was tradable. Oh, yeah. First Republic is tradable. And what happens is, anytime something shitty is going to happen, have you ever seen videos of like the tsunami in in uh, in, in the Indian Ocean or other like big disasters? The first thing that happens is all the animals are like, "Yo, I'm out." I'm fucking out. Yeah, and they just like flock to say, if, yep. if you're ever on a beach and one of two things happens, you need to run. One of those things is the animals all just like leave. Right. The birds start flying inland. All the land animals start running away. And then the, the other thing is if the water really recedes, I don't think that metaphor quite crosses over into the water what we're talking about today. But like for general, yeah, for general beach safety. If you see the water start to recede in a crazy way, get the hell out of there. Right, exactly. So that's, yes, that's a different And, and thing, my, my formal training is not even in lifeguarding. No, nah, your formal training is in, in beard grooming either. No, I like it. It's a good looking beard. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the hair, the, the flow is getting good. You got a little playoff. Gets, you look like you're, you look like you got four minutes a night on a Stanley Cup championship team. Your job is to go out there and make sure the goalie doesn't get fucked with. Yeah, four penalty minutes a night. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's more in the box than on the, yeah, on the ice. That's, that's exactly your job. But again, <laughs> When the animals run, mustache. yeah, hey, they go with the glasses. Get the fuck off me. Gets a mustache, thinks he can start talking a bunch of smack. Again, it was this is a happenstance. It was not a plan. I would never plan. Uh huh. Yeah, sure. When the animals run away, 
that's the same metaphor, metaphorically, as the stock people selling the stock. When the stock price goes down, say more than 10, 20%, and it continues to go down like on another market cycle, what's happening is all the animals who are tuned in, like this is their job to know what's going on, they're like out. At that point, you're late. And that's when the run really started for this bank. It wasn't with people taking their money out, it was with the stock went and then they're like, wait, what do the analysts know? What are the people that are looking into this bank know? And they looked at it and they're like, oh shit. What they know is yeah, that there's it, a tsunami. Yes. And the, so the, as we said, there are, there are a few structural factors that are at play here that people were able to like read the tea leaves. And then there was like a major precipitating event where people kind of right. like understood, okay, it's now or never. I'm not, if I don't get my money out now, then I'm never going to get it back. The structural factors, as we said, uh, high interest rates are, are up. The Fed was moving aggressively to try to uh, stem inflation, which is uh, still pretty bad. Uh, higher interest rates uh, eroded the value of longer-term bonds uh, that SVB and other banks grabbed during the like long period of like ultra-low, like almost zero percent interest rates from basically like 2009 to you know, 20 whatever. And uh, the 21 billion dollar bond portfolio that the bank had was yielding about 1.79 percent, according to CNN Business. And the current right now, the 10-year tre Treasury bond yield is about 3.9 percent. So mm -hmm. there's a significant difference in yep. the rate of return there. And then at the same time, according to CNN Business, venture capital started to dry up. And so that forced a lot of startup companies that would have been doing their financing with SVB to draw down on bonds that were being held by the bank. So the bank had a ton of unrealized losses in bonds just as the pace of customer withdrawals was starting to pick up. And so on Wednesday, that would be March the 9th, I yes. think. I'm double checking. Mm, the March sounds like Thursday, yeah. Yeah, so Mar on, on March 8th, they announced that uh, they had to sell a bunch of securities at a loss. And uh, they were going to have to sell a, 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 like billions of dollars to try to shore up the balance sheet. And people lost their minds. I mean, the animals were fully in panic mode at that point. And so a lot, and these are, we're talking about animals that are in like key venture capital firms. Uh, and they all ran to the bank to withdraw their money at the same time because they thought, you know, this is it. I mean, we're, the, the bank is losing so much. If we don't go now, we're going to lose everything we have. Right. So, okay. Now let's get into the idea of this diamond dibvig. Um, and by the way, along with uh, former, I think, chairman of the Fed, Ben Bernanke, this yeah. essential research won the Nobel Prize for economics or finance or whatever the money one is. Um, <laughs> yeah, in twenty in twenty twenty two, it was the yeah. Nobel Prize for economics for for working on this. It. I, I remember. So, just a quick aside. Uh, I remember in high school when I was doing speech and debate. I w it was right around the time of the Great the Recession. Yeah. I remember like giving speeches about like, man, the economy is really starting to suck. Like yeah. this doesn't this isn't really great. Yeah. And uh, there's this uh, this kid on our team. I won't, I won't name names, but uh, this kid was uh, very, uh, very Ayn Rand. Uh, he was strongly influenced by Ayn Rand and believed in objectivism and capitalism. And there's no such thing as good government and blah, blah, blah. And I remember he just gave this hilarious scree against Ben Bernanke because he was named as like the, I think he was like the Time Magazine person, person of, of the year, year or yeah. something. Yeah, he got some silly recognition. He's like, oh, yes, Time Magazine person of the year. Who is it? Ben Bernanke, I couldn't believe such nonsense. So, um, anyway, guess who? Uh, guess who was right in the end? I, I have, like I said, I've read a few books on the Great Recession, and I've watched all of the movies and documentaries. And I can tell you, I think it is hard for people to understand just how close we were to not being a country. And I actually mean yeah. that it would have, we would not have made it. Period. It was yeah, very it's close. truly catastrophic. Right, exactly. So Ben Bernanke is with these Diamond and Dig Big people, and they're doing work on this. They win the Nobel Prize. Bank runs, Chris. When you see everyone withdrawing the money from their bank, your first thought should be, those people are idiots. It's going to be fine. But then you read the news and you're like, or am I the idiot? Yeah, I mean, it, it really is a, a, a classic Nash equilibrium situation. It's, it, it really does come into a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. So since because banks are giving out loans to people uh, or like investors on long maturity, they can't, they don't have the ability to like quickly recall those loans because first of all, the mature, the maturation period is long. So they can't just like say, hey, uh, remember that money we loaned you? We're going to need it back now. Uh, but also people who are taking out loans to finance big stuff like like homes or cars or business ventures or whatever the case is, they don't have the money. That's why they're getting a loan. And so the assumption is that like, well, if the bank is loaning out money, that repayment is going to occur over time with mm -hmm. interest. It can't occur right now. Otherwise, they would just pay it off and save themselves the money on the interest. Literally. So that like 
right there is a structural defect, or it, it's not a structural defect, it's a feature of the system that means that if you really need something in a pinch, you can't get it from w withdrawing the loans. So if all the depositors then, on the other side of the equation, if all this like div these diverse streams decide, well, now's the time to actually get my money out, then the bank is gonna lose all of its like income and it's not going to be able to pay off all of the depositors at the same time because it's used their liquid funds to pay long maturation, illiquid loans. Uh -huh. And so the bank is going to be able to pay like the first few people who sprint to the bank, but it just doesn't have enough resources in like in actual cash that they can give to people who have been depositing into the bank and it'll go bankrupt. And the last people who get caught, uh, you know, behind the crowd who run too slowly to the bank, they just lose their money. It's just gone. Right. So, and this is how, this is a classic bank run idea. And again, going back to the Great Depression, back then we were much more capitalist. You could, you know, as a 14 year old, you could really uh, work your way up in the mines um, back in those days. <laughs> we didn't have any goddamn regulations. Back when we were a proper country. This Literally. country used to build bridges. It used to. They, well, yes, exactly. You want to Google Jonestown, like they uh, wanted to trim about an inch off of the road and then 2,600 people died in a flood or 2,200 thousands of people died in a flood because they, the Carnegie's thought the road was too fat and they wanted them to trim it. Well, that road was actually a <laughs> dam. <laughs> yeah. So those were the good old days. Um, but back then we didn't have things like the FDIC, which is for the federal deposit insurance corporation, I believe. Very good. Thank you so much. That's right. And I didn't even Google that. I literally, I would just take a screenshot of what I'm looking at right now. I didn't even Google that. I know. So essentially what happened is FDR's president, country goes to shit or he gets elected president, country is in the shitter. And they're like, okay, two things. One, how do we fix this? And B, how do we make sure this never, ever, ever happens again? And one of the ways is that the rich people were like, what if you got the taxpayers to pay in money and then they would just make sure this never happens because they just people just pay themselves. And the government was like, yes, but also no. What if you guys did that too? So there is a bank reserve that they make people do that. For banks that have savings accounts for average folks, this can't happen, theoretically, unless there is just actual no currency, which is what almost happened in 2008. But if there is money, and we have cash, you can get cash out of the bank, the, the government insures it if the bank plays ball with the government. And the FDIC has come to the rescue here, all of the depositors, the small businesses, the families that put money into Silicon Valley Bank and other ones, I think Signature Bank and First Republic are also in a deep shitter too they're going to make sure the depositors get their money back because like we can't have there be no existence through this weird loophole of there not being money. However, what you're saying is theoretically right. In 2008, when all of the investors were going to Lehman Brothers and saying we would like our money back, Lehman was like, we don't have it. Housing prices went down. We can't cover our investments. We don't have your investment. And everyone was like, what? I was leveraging that investment on this investment. And then everyone was like, well, 35 other banks are leveraging on all of those leverages. And then people threw up essentially. That's not insured by the FDIC. That's not insured by anything. There was no precedent. No, for it, no it's, it's not. And it, it, and it really is just, it's kind of like another another permutation of the fact that banks can't pay people back if they're unable to get their loans back. I right. mean, that's, that's the fundamental problem. And in the case of 2008, the loans were based on bad like housing loans. So they were rated really high, like top quality loans. So the bank says, okay, if I give out this money to this individual, then I know that with a certain mortgage arrangement, I'm likely to get that money back. And they were using these loans as like, say like, well, you know, they're not really starting to check for some of like the basic uh, safeguards into what makes a good loan. So like, does this person have guaranteed income? Has this person been late on payments in the past? So all these little markers that are indicators of like, if a person is likely to pay back a loan, in other words, if the bank can count on having that money in the future, then it, it you know, that's when you could say like, okay, we're going to give you a loan like you meet these criteria because that protects the bank's ability to pay back depositors. In 2008, people started to kind of just like bypass those systems. They said, well, you know, we could actually get a lot of money. We can get a really high rate of return if we just give out these really crappy loans and just like brand them as something else. Right. And, you know, there are, there are a lot of competing motivations yeah, yeah, behind yeah. how the, the loans were branded. But the point is that the loans that, they, that the banks were giving out to people to fund houses were really bad because people just couldn't afford the mortgages that went with the houses that they were trying to get loans for. 
And when all of those loans failed, all of the leveraging that you were talking about, where people are leveraging on like the on the rate of return, like the insurance on the on the housing mortgages. Well, I mean, the the foundation was completely wiped out. So this huge structure that had been built on top of this market was completely wiped out with it. And so the money is just not there. The bank just physically could not find a way to get cash from the loans that they had given out to the depositors who were asking for their investments back. Yeah, and this the thing that the Silicon Valley Bank situation has in common with 2008 is that all of these loans are predicated on various investments and bets and gambles and whatever for one specific injury. And the investment, the, the gamble is that that industry is growing and it's so valuable and it's such an integral part of our lives and our ability to build net worth and just function as a society that its value is only going to go up, which over time is true. That's inflation. That's just how it works that will go up. However, for those of you player three out there who have listened to our episode about Simpsons Paradox, occasionally it goes down for a period of time before it goes back up. In 2008, that asset was housing, real estate, or just your average uh, urban or suburban real estate was the problem. Now it is tech. What happened was in 2020, the year of our Lord, COVID happened and Netflix and Facebook and all these companies just hired a fuck ton of people. They're like, people are in their houses. This is going to change everything. Peloton, like people work out from home. Facebook's like, people aren't leaving their houses ever. They're just going to do VR forever. Well, yes. And then we got bored of that. And now people are traveling and going to sporting events. That's inflated. That industry is popping off. Tech yep. is realizing, uh-oh, uh, inflation happened. And we have to cut basically all of those people we hire. Tech is going down. So these tech startups... They don't have the liquidity that Facebook and Amazon and Netflix have. They don't, they're not big operations. So when that goes down, and all of these tech startups, when they say tech startup, they're coders and things, they all rely on a few things like various open source coding and shit from like the, those big guys kind of pseudo own these tech startups as well. They, they rely on the whole system, right? It's like the mother tree. Sure. When those things go down, these tech startups, they're totally screwed. They all bank with Silicon Valley Bank because Silicon Valley bankers were great at their jobs. They sold these loans. To these people, they've been an, an, a staple of the community for decades. So they are like, okay, yeah. well, that's where you go. You get a good rate. They do business with it. You maybe you meet some people. You go golf. You do whatever people do in San Francisco. I don't know. Everyone gets that. <laughs> Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley banks like tech. It's where it's at. Tech. We're a tech bank. We're Silicon. We're the bank of Silicon Valley. God damn it. So they didn't invest in shit like real estate and average people. They invested in tech. Well, tech goes down. And now they're like, and that is happening as interest rates for, for loans are going up. And they're like, uh-oh. We, all, we put all of our money into Facebook and we probably should have bought some gold and some bonds and some stocks and some other shit to diversify ourselves. They didn't do any of that. So it's exactly like 2008. Like when you bet on one thing, if that thing Simpson paradoxes you and goes down for like a year, you are screwed. Yeah, and, and, and I think by bringing up the FDIC, you see just how important it is to do the diversification. Yes. Because as you said, like in 2008, there wasn't an insurance mechanism against the bad housing bond market. There, there wasn't an insurance mechanism against like the tech sector unexpectedly encountering hubris. And by the way, I think there's some other, there's some other interesting thoughts about like why the tech sector in general is maybe was a little bit overconfident and is yeah. kind of having to like Ouroboros itself. Well, very quickly, I think uh, Elon Musk in his midlife crisis uh, just fired a bunch of people willy-nilly, like truly willy-nilly with no thought at all. Mm -hmm. And then all the other like tech billionaires and, and the people who sit on the boards of those companies looked at Elon Musk as an example and said, well, if he can fire a bunch of people and cut the company in half and still put money in our pocket and still have the product run basically the same, then you should do that too. And so the Jeff Bezoses and the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world are having to take a second look and realize, well, you know, maybe we didn't need to hire all these people. Maybe talent retention isn't really the best business strategy. That's not really necessarily connected to what's going on here. Uh, but what is connected to what's going on here, just to finish the FDIC thought, uh, the, the original paper that uh, Diamond and Divvig wrote uh, is called uh, Bank Runs, Deposit Insurance, and Liquidity. And on page, uh, the version I have is on page 14. Uh, they discuss why this kind of like insurance is really important. It, it, it offsets the like structural risks that are at play here. So uh, they say that uh, the, one of the propositions they're discussing with like their economic math speak uh, highlights a key social benefit of government deposit insurance. 
It allows the bank to follow a desirable asset liquidation policy, which can be separated from the cash flow constraint imposed directly by withdrawals. So it can it can separate itself from from the limitations created by having relying on depositors to fund loans. Furthermore, they say it prevents runs because for all possible anticipated withdrawal policies of other agents, meaning like for even in the random market, even if everybody decides to withdraw at the same time, it never pays to participate in a bank run. So the existence of the insurance scheme to protect the depositors from losing their money in the event that a bank runs low on liquid uh, on liquidity, the Nash equilibrium actually changes. The game theory result changes. And so what went from a rational decision following your neighbors to the bank so that you don't get caught holding the bag at the end now becomes... I'm never incentivized to go run on the bank because my deposits are insured. And so if I participate in that bank run, I actually lose out on the amount of money that I would get from the insurance. Yeah. So by by introducing this government intervention into the market by protecting the deposits, it just it's a change in the game theory decision making that's supposed to prevent this mass this collective behavior from undercutting the bank. I mean, and, and it's necessary because even in really big banks, even in banks that have a huge amount of liquidity, they're still theoretically vulnerable to bank runs because the game theoretic calculation is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If a, enough people cross a threshold and say like, it's time to w- remove all of our deposits from the bank, then it creates an incentive for everybody else in the system to participate. So in this is a case where like, you know, the government intervention here, say what you want about that philosophically, it does change the way that people make game theory rational decisions. And in doing so, it protects like the structural integrity of the financial system. So yeah. I think that's a really interesting calculation that uh, Diamond and Divvig showed in uh, 1983. But as you said, the insurance there is for the depositors. It's not for the tech bro investors. It's not for the housing market no, they're just loan yeah. or the housing market lenders. They are just screwed. The interesting thing about this is that and I see this a lot when I like look into chess people and streamers and like all of these um, AI bros trying to fix and solve chess and poker. The thing that you don't understand about playing chess and poker is that the third opponent or third player at the board is time. The third player at the table is time. You don't have infinity. Yep. So I will share a personal story. I was laid off from my last job due to cuts from COVID, which is part of this tech thing, kind of. Um, and I qualified for unemployment insurance for a little while. However, the state was so backlogged for unemployment insurance, I could make a claim, but they couldn't verify things in time. So I wasn't receiving payment. I was going to receive payment at a certain time, but I wasn't receiving payment. Similarly, like while this theory is correct, I don't have you know, 12 weeks to stare at the board against Magnus Carlson, I am actually on a timer. I need to pay rent and and live my life. So like while the FDIC can back these people, if they need the credit or the cash or they're freaking out and they they need money, like they will need money in the next six weeks if they were planning to move finances around, they're not secure enough not to have liquidity. If that's the case, then this isn't, this is for not anyway. And that, 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 cause that kind of happened to me. It, it took 12 weeks. I ended up getting a check for like $10,000. Well, I had to tap into savings and pay fees on shit because the state of Pennsylvania couldn't give me my unemployment insurance. And I lost thousands of dollars in the aggregate because I needed money. I didn't need the state of, well, you qualify. Like, that's not what I need. And in this case, the depositors being insured, affecting their decision-making, I think it would for me, depending on which, which bank it is. I think if I'm fine and I have credit and I could survive or however long it takes the federal government to process something like this and get my money back into the bank or back to me or whatever, I think we're good. If it takes a month or two months or three months, like I need my fucking money right now. This is like my ability to function in society is tied up to a government process, which I mean, my experience during COVID was bad. So the other thing I wanted to point out was that I, one of the banks that I use pretty regularly for uh, savings and some investments like uh, bonds and things is Marcus. Marcus is the first name, I believe, of Goldman, of Goldman and Sachs. So I, yes, I use the- Marcus Goldman? I think so. Yeah, Google it. Let's fact check that. Yeah, do it. Marcus Goldman. Marcus Goldman Sachs. Okay, yeah. Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Download the Marcus app. Oh, yep. Wouldn't you know it? Marcus Goldman, Mm -hmm. American investment banker. 
Right. So I think the idea is like Goldman Sachs and Goldman and Sachs were, um, they're an investment bank. They're one of the skeezy pieces of shit that caused the 2008 financial crisis point blank period. They often have so many people, um, so many people go from Goldman Sachs after making hundreds of millions of dollars to the government to seek power that they often call the government government Sachs. So they're back. (laughs) You like that? You never heard that? No, I have heard that. It's just been a long time. Yeah, I mean, it re- isn't that funny? But I use Marcus. One of the reasons I use Marcus is, do I know they're doing all that skeezy shit with some de- depositor funds? Yes. The government declared them publicly in 2009 too big to fail. I'll be fine. If there is an economy, I will eventually get my savings back because the government's like, there's too much involved with them. We literally cannot have a country and not have Goldman Sachs. It will be part of America forever. They said that's yep. about six or seven banks that they're like, Wells Fargo is that way. JP Morgan Chase is that way. So one of the reasons I chose them, like I know in my brain, they're using my, like my money that's there on the screen is not there. They're fucking around with it in Wall Street, but the government bailed them out. So from a game theory standpoint, I'm like, I'll be fine. I, cause the government said it is a law. They are too big to fail. Well, it, it and that also changes depending on the individual circumstances of the people sure. who are investing with the bank too. So, so, I think a couple of things are true. Number one, the major players are like the big high volume traders who work on Wall Street. Like their job is to create value in finance by trading a lot, trading at, free, at a high frequency and using just huge, huge quantities of money to make major moves. And you know, that's that's their entire job. It's also true that a lot of people who are lumped in with the category of investors are people who have retirement accounts that include investments with you know, anything from individual stocks to diversified you know, portfolios for 401ks. And that's like the average working person who doesn't have anything to do with how the money is actually handled. Because the professionals on Wall Street are doing that. They're just using your retirement money to create more value. And like that's that's how the market continues to grow is when you know, people make these decisions. Essentially, they're, like, they're generating value artificially. And I think it's a really good thing because you can create wealth in a system of fiat currency that that makes it so possible to have a lot of prosperity, but it also makes it possible for people to be really irresponsible mm-hmm. and have suffer huge losses. So when investment banks make poor decisions like giving out subprime mortgages left and right and building an entire financial structure on top of those subprime mortgages, then the people who end up getting hurt are the people who don't have access to like senators and representatives yeah. on the Hill, right. like the average working person with a 401k. They're not going to be able to get the government to step in and write a favorable policy that's going to protect my my personal retirement account. So in 2008 and, and in the subsequent recession that lasted for years, I think Americans were justifiably really cynical about the entire systems yeah. because it's it's like at the end of the big ba- or uh, uh, the big short, not the big bounce, the big <laughs> short where uh, there's like that kind of sarcastic quip by uh, uh, Ryan, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Oh yeah, yes, yeah. the people who were responsible for this scheme were arrested and thrown in jail, and regulators stepped in to protect loans so that this would never happen again. And it's like, of course, none of that actually happened. No. People who were the most vulnerable were hurt. Uh, the people who were poor poor or immigrants were blamed for the entire thing. Wealthy people got paid huge bonuses from government bailout money. And so they were not only losing people's value from their investments, but they were also taking directly from the taxpayer in the form of straight-up government checks, giving themselves fat bonuses and flying around and celebrating the whole thing as a success. And so now... If you're if you're an American with a fresh memory of that, like if you're a millennial who, in part, your early career is defined by the financial crisis, and you see this venture capital firm, and you see that uh, at, over the weekend the government announced that it's going to protect the deposits of all the people who are there, you know it's it's not quite the same thing as the bailout because they're, they're guaranteeing the deposits at SVB and Signature, uh, and it, it, that includes those above the uh, the normal limit of uh, of a quarter million dollars. You see that, and you realize. You know, the the hubris that should teach people a lesson, that would teach ordinary people a lesson, people who don't have billions of dollars and aren't in the pockets of people who are making the law, it, th- that hubris is just never going to affect these guys. It's just never going to make them make good decisions. It's never going to teach them responsibility. And it's never going to do anything. Like, it's never going to create a system wherein you, the average person, are somehow protected from the whims and, and the irresponsibility of finance bros and tech disruptors. And I don't know how you can look at that and say like, well, you know, I still believe in the, in the overall system because what it shows is that if you're a large enough corporation, if you're a large enough bank, if you have enough money, then 
the normal laws of even like game theory here don't even really apply to you. Like there's no such thing as losing if you're guaranteed to get money from the taxpayer in a way that's distributed so that like individual costs aren't really felt any more than normal because they're just coming out of taxes. But you can also just like give yourself a huge bonus and everything will be fine. Like the safety net is like right at the level of your feet. Whereas for everybody else, you're going to incur significant costs in the event of a financial crisis. Somebody who, who loses the value of their investments is going to like their savings account, like their retirement planning, they're planning for their kids future for college funds and all that. It's affected in a really significant way. And so I don't know as an American, how you could see this remember 2008 and the years following and not just be cynical as shit. Yeah, so this is this is what I understand. Um, that the the way I understand it is that the 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 first thing that everyone asked on on TikTok and Twitter was like, who who is paying the deposit money? Like, where is this bailout coming from? And everyone's like, and I, I actually we can pull up a TikTok here. This is from a congressman. He's he is the best congressman TikToker. All of his TikToks are nerdy shit. He just looks at the camera and says a bunch of boring shit. He's incredibly boring. I can't stress how boring this boring guy is. His name is Jeff Jackson. He is, I think he might represent me. I don't think so. I think he almost represents me. I think he's very close to representing me. I'm actually, I'm going to change the microphone settings so that Chris can hear this, hopefully. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Let's see if you can hear this TikTok. This is Jeff Jackson explaining the situation. He's in a hoodie, Chris. So, you know, he's, he's, he's being earnest. That's it. That's how he's real. All right. So let's fast forward. They woke us up and they're like, hey, he said, the funniest thing about the TikTok, I guess I'll play the whole thing. He was like, they just put us in a Zoom meeting, like a real Zoom meeting. Earlier tonight, there was an emergency Zoom call with several hundred members of Congress. It was convened by the Treasury Department, and we were given about 15 minutes notice. It was literally on regular Zoom. I was sent a link, I clicked the link, and most of Congress was there. That's not normal, but neither is the situation. The purpose of the meeting was to announce extraordinary steps that will now be taken to secure our financial system. You're going to hear from the president today, along with leaders of both parties. Okay. Here's what's happening. Three days ago, we had great, the second great. largest bank failure in American history. It happened because there was a bank in California called Silicon Valley Bank. It lost a lot of money, causing a lot of its customers to get scared and try to withdraw their money, and it caused a run on the bank. So the federal government, through the FDIC, stepped in and closed the bank. Here's the problem. Typically, your deposits in a bank are only protected up to $250,000. Uh -huh. But the vast majority of customers at this bank had deposits more than that because course, this bank specialized in startups and small businesses. Great. And the uncertainty about what would happen to customers with more than $250,000 in deposits started to spread to other banks. A New York bank failed last Signature. night. Others have started flashing red. First Republic. People with money at smaller banks were getting scared and transferring their money into bigger banks. And we were in the early stages of a domino effect. Which brings us back to the emergency Zoom call. All the depositors at the Silicon Valley Bank will be made whole. Same with the bank in New York. We're going to pay for that with the fund that banks already pay into, not with taxpayer money. And the people being protected great, great. are just the depositors. These are mainly businesses that otherwise would have to close and lay off thousands of people because they chose the wrong bank. We're not protecting the management or the people who own stock in the bank. Right now, every step being taken has one purpose, to make sure this domino effect ends now. We caught it early enough so that taxpayers won't have to pay. We can pass the bill on to the banks, as long as this panic stops here. There's going to be a huge political debate now about bank regulation and how much risk we're willing to let them take going forward. Good. Clearly, we have to make some changes, but today is about not sinking the boat that we are all in. You so that's the gist of it. I thought that he, like I said, he's incredibly boring and he just does a good job of explaining the situation. Now, there's a New York Times journalist who stitched that TikTok and was like, he got most of the facts. So I'm like, Shut the fuck up, dude. I just, okay, like, fine. There is a situation where the taxpayer could be held liable at a certain point here. But there is a fund, I forget what it's called, it's called like the FTNB or something, that all of the banks, like when I say the banks, like literally all of them are required to pay into for shit like this. And I think that goes back to the Reagan administration when there was a bubble. I, I forget. Oh, it doesn't? Yeah, but they have, well, I mean, so Reagan, let's just talk about the Reagan administration. Thumbs up, thumbs down real quick. So there's this uh, Ronald Reagan the reason all of this is happening is Ronald Reagan's fault, period. He repealed the piece of legislation called the Glass-Steagall Act. The Glass-Steagall Act was something around Great Depression times that made it illegal, not possible, for investment banks that both made investments but also was a publicly traded stock. It was illegal for them 
to use depositor money on the, on trading. They were not allowed to do that. In fact, they were not allowed to, they could, they had to pick a lane. They couldn't even take depositor money or it had to be a separate thing. They were never to touch. Reagan was like, well, fuck that shit. There's money in the vault. Let's just give it to the, just, that's dumb. That's their, their, it's their business. So those guys were like, oh, sick. That's going to be fun. And then 20 years later, uh, 2008 happened. Um, the Clinton administration was also like, yeah, this is going great. Going great. We're just going to keep investing with the average American's dollar. It's going to be sweet. Um, that has allowed all of this to happen. However, the Reagan administration, Ronald Reagan, also had the goat of all Fed chairmen. His name was Volcker. He was the last guy to raise rates, and he was like, and this is the brilliance of Ronald Reagan. He was very, very mean. He was like, we are not, I don't <laughs> want a good economy. No good economy. We're raising rates. Shit's going to be expensive. You people did this. You should have listened to Jimmy Carter. God damn it. You didn't. Rates are going up. And Reagan, who's in charge of this guy, was like, oh, you said we have to raise rates. We're raising rates. I mean, and the guy says, I mean, here we are. He basically was <laughs> able to say that guy I have in charge of this that I could fire without any problem at all. He said I can't do it, so I can't do it. Brilliant. Ronald Reagan was a genius at that kind of thing. But that guy was very much the guy that's like, pump the brakes on the economy, bro. And he was part of the people that were like, make sure that the banks are paying for their mistakes. And he kind of, that guy in most finance bros will tell you that Volcker was the guy that really fixed our, our shit back in, in the eighties. So now there's a fund that banks have to pay out because I can tell you your cynicism as a millennial and my cynicism as a millennial is not lost on the internet. Everyone's first question is who is paying for this shit? And if it's true that it's coming from a fund that other banks have, I am really excited about two parts of that and really scared about one part. Are you ready to hear? I am. I am really excited that all of the billionaires that had to pay into this fund are going to eat these people in Silicon Valley like piranha. They're going to be so pissed. So because they're making the banking industry look bad. And Goldman Sachs like now they're going to look at us. They're, they're making the, for, for the record, they're making the banking industry look bad by being bad. Yes. Yes. Like they're, right. they're, they're, it's, it's not a question of like, oh, it looks worse. Like, yeah. no, no, no. This is exactly what it looks like. Sometimes things are exactly as they appear. And this is a bank. It, it, this is a bank betting too big on a crappy industry and not having it, it using this like myopic, like high rate of return crap to make decisions. Right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for them to get eaten like piranha too. The other thing that I'm excited about is that the government was like, we're not helping you. We're helping. We're going to give depositors money. And if that comes from my money as a taxpayer, I'm much more rest easy with that than the 2008 thing where my money went to banks. These are not going to banks. These are going to businesses and tech startups. I would much rather have whatever app company have my tax dollars than this bank that fucked them. That to me, well, I can rectify the, that better. I think the important thing there is like, I wouldn't feel good about in either case, right. but I think it's important not to undercut people who are working in an entire industry because yes. it's not just that the company is losing money or whatever. It's that the company is losing money. The people are losing value from the, from the product that that business was that brought that the business was producing. Uh, but people are losing their jobs. They're, yes. they're losing their livelihoods. And there's already panic uh, CF our previous discussion about Elon Musk's midlife crisis. <laughs> and so I, I think I could feel a little bit less bad about my money going to protect those people's well-being uh, as opposed to the bank. Yeah, especially because like they are much more like one of us. Like those tech startups and the small businesses, literally some of these small businesses are just like pizza places in Silicon Valley and shit. They didn't do anything wrong. They're no, trying to make pizza. Yeah, they they, the they bank. banked with the they banked with their local bank. Like I mean, what do they know? They yeah. they make pizza. Like I, so that that to me is less bad than bailing out the banks, which is what happened in 2008. The part of this that scares me is that with the Congress split the way that it is and Democrats and Republicans, there's, there is going to be a debate the way this Jeff guy said, the representative, that debate is going to bring out the billionaires on wall street. And they're like, we are either not having this debate or it's going to go our way. That always goes their way. So if this starts a major discourse ahead of an election coming up in a year and a half, they're not going to get more regulation. They just, they're, that's when you have money, you call the shots and they're going to buy politicians and this is going to impact the election. If this run isn't stopped and other banks go down and this becomes a big national issue that lingers, I am worried that it's going to have, and this is a preview for another episode coming up soon, it's going to have the opposite effect, which is where you're going to get Goldman and JP Morgan and Wells Fargo and all the big dogs like that are essentially countries. They're going to come to the table and say, yep, shut the fuck up about regulating banks right now and people are going to and it's going to get worse 
Yeah, the uh, the old perverse incentive strikes again. I, th- I think, Nick, the one thing that makes me less worried that this is going to become a huge political issue is that this issue is so dry. It's esoteric unless you either are a financier and appreciate the risk or bank with Silicon Valley Bank. Or, like, it, it, it's, it's, too, it's too boring and too complex and too <laughs> yes, hard to yeah. penetrate for the average voter. The average voter, I'm telling you, does not give a shit about this because they don't understand. Right. So they want to do what we do, which is oversimplify everything and boil it down to, like, who can I be mad at? Who should I be, what should I be worried for? What do I need to do with my own decision-making? And, like, that's not an indictment of the average voter, but it does reflect that issues are hard, memories are short, and I don't think this is going to create a ton of political leverage because it's not as sexy as, like, culture war stuff. They're, 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 look, look, man, there's a reason the culture wars are continuously raging over, like, what ultimately is low-stakes stuff. It's because it's very easy for someone to pick up their phone, scroll through, get mad, and all of a sudden that generates political momentum at the polls. So yeah. I think this is... Uh, Unfortunately, not not going to be like the kind of substantive issue that would actually be good for political discourse. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's probably going to generate some, at least for the next couple of news cycles. Yeah, we'll see. I think, I mean, if I were in Congress, my inclination would be just to stay away from this because the same reason that you said, like, there's no reason. And I don't want it, to, it, it's weird because you're elected, like the answer to the American people, like there are a couple industries and bears I don't want to poke, like the, 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 the armed forces and getting involved, you know, nope. hopefully that they regulate themselves and they have good ways to police sexual assault and goings on on their own. I don't want to deal with them. They're so scary. The banks are also like that. Uh, yep. Like, I don't want to poke them. I don't want them to come to the table. Like, actually, you know, what we need is less regulation. Like, mm, let's just leave them alone. They're making their money. Let's just, they're in New York. It's fine. Just yep. And then the types of regulations, like the average person's eyes glaze over as soon as you even like start to say the syllables in the word regulation so to think that that's going to generate any kind of serious intellectual (laughs) interest for like an informed citizenry i think that is uh i think john adams would be say like yeah no people are going to be really psyched about this but you know what people didn't like about him Uh he was boring as hell so because he cared about nitty gritty very important but ultimately very boring and hard to understand stuff like this. I just don't think this is going to go yeah, anywhere. Yeah, I agree. So I think that one of the more, and this is, I guess, a little bit pessimistic view, just philosophically, one of the more optimistic things about doing this podcast I've mentioned many times is that oftentimes we see in the studies that mathematicians will come up with a hypothesis, they'll test it on real people, and the real people will do the humane thing. They won't do the game theory optimal thing. They like playing the games. They're like, hey, 70 bucks is okay. I don't need the maximum amount. I don't need the theoretical max. Where it gets discouraging for me is that the people who operate that way at baseline, it is always good for them. Game theory is always optimal if you can continue to play game theory. Where they really, really, really win and where we really lose is when playing the game becomes required. At that point, we're already starting late. It's like playing a chess game on move three and they're they're three moves in and you're like, well, they've been thinking this way you are now at a situation where you have to go get your money out of a bank and they're like, yeah, I already paid myself a bonus. I'm going to get fired. I don't give a shit. They're already thinking selfishly. If everybody thinks selfishly, it's even. If nobody thinks selfishly, it's even. If some people do, and this is game theory. This is what that is at the, at the baseline. If some people do game theory and most people don't, those people will get fucked over and over and over and over again. So that's, and that's, yeah, that's why people are like, where is my money? Make sure that's my exactly money how bank runs operate. If you don't yep. participate, you lose. Yep. If you choose not to participate, you will lose. If you're not informed enough to participate, you will lose. If you're not quick enough to the table, if you don't operate with enough precision and enough quickness, you lose. It's not that you can like, you can't afford not to play. Uh, and that really sucks. It just it just sucks because it creates an environment wherein ruthlessness and being competitive is rational. It's the responsible thing to do, but that crowds out the humane people who don't have time, people who don't have the resources to be competitive in a game theory situation. And it just it man, it's unfortunate and kind of breeds citizen cynicism in a way. One hundred percent. I mean, I think the, the the best way I can think about it to sum it up is it's sort of like football, hockey, or when we used to play slug bug or yellow car. You either mm-hmm. hit or you get hit. Um, and right. if you get hit hard enough, you'll understand that you can quit unless you're locked in a car with people and then you can't quit. You have to yep. hit. And if you hit them first, it doesn't matter how they can't hit you. So that's, and that's really the only way to think about it. Bit of a bummer of a conclusion there, but I mean, pay attention to this boring shit, read the journal, 
there are some great TikTokers that give a lot of information in 60 seconds or less. Our, my favorite, Kyla Scanlon. I've been trying to get her on the show. We will get her one. She's too big, much of a big wig. She works for the Fed in Minnesota, I think. I'm going to get her. Hey. Hey. Shout out to right. the yellow car. That was a fun time. It's a great time. Do you, you know, me and Nate, they are my friend who also played yellow car with us, we often reference the greatest yellow car game ever played. It was a ride to school in high school. Do you remember day. that? Oh, man. I remember that Fists one day. Popping. We just got, got out of the car and kind of looked at each other. We like, did. Yeah, like, man. That was good. It, like, we were not. Because sometimes you just want to get the, the victory and just give a little love tap. Other times you just pop. Just popping people. That was a great game.